So it's Easter, like happy Easter, welcome, um, we're, we're glad that you're here. And I know that on Easter, um, we all approach Easter in different ways, right? Um, all of us in the room come from a different place, a different story, a different background, a different uh, journey that's led us to this moment on this Sunday in 2016. And we say this all the time uh, here at Ethos, uh, it'll be a broken record, but we say no matter where you are at on your spiritual journey, uh, this is a safe place for you to ask questions, to doubt, to, to learn and discover Jesus more fully here. And we want you to know that you're so welcome here. And, and so I think some, some of us in the room are, are probably skeptics, you know. Uh, we're not really believers in Jesus. Um, maybe not against it, but you're like, hey, I, I don't know if I really buy into that yet. Um, uh, you know, Jesus is more like a myth or a legend to you than a, a reality. And it's like, okay, it's, it's all good. It's not hurting anybody. It inspires people to do good things. That's good. And, and so that's maybe where, maybe where you're at today. Some of us in the room might be on the fence with belief. So you want to believe there's more to life than, than just like the acquisition of, of things and, and of comfort. And you want to believe there's actually some meaning and that it's not all over when we die. Maybe that's you, but, but there's some barriers that are keeping you from really believing. Maybe those are intellectual barriers. Like, I just don't know if I agree. Or maybe uh, experiential barriers. You've come in contact with someone who claims to believe that has really turned you off to faith. Maybe that's where you are today. And then some of us in the room believe in Jesus in some capacity, and and some of us are passionately following Jesus. Some of us, um, it's more of an additive to our life rather than a foundation. And and so we have this whole spectrum of belief that is represented here today. And and I would argue that the majority of us, no matter where we fall on that spectrum, uh, a lot of us treat Easter kind of like a cultural holiday. And this is what I mean by that. Um, It's a lot like uh, Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day where there's some traditions that we do every week. We do some things and we we play the part and um, it's just kind of a celebration of our cultural holiday and it's got a mascot and everything, you know, the Easter bunny. And, you know, so Valentine's Day has got Cupid. Uh, St. Patrick's Day has... uh, the leprechaun, okay, y'all are still with me. And, and Easter somehow got the bunny. Like, I don't know how that happened, who put eggs and bunnies together, but gotta be the worst mascot out of all of our, it's like Santa's got number one, obviously, number one seed, Santa. And then you go, you've got all the other, like mother, mother nature, father time and all these things. But like in the March Madness bracket of cultural mascots, the Easter bunny gets knocked out first round by the tooth fairy, no question. Um, that was a sports joke for those of you that uh, aren't sports fans, but um, this, is, this is what we do. You know, we have, we have the cultural traditions. We dress up and we wear pastels and, and we stuff our face with chocolate and we eat brunch and hide plastic eggs full of more chocolate for kids to find. And we, this is just kind of what we do, right? And I love that. Please hear me. I love that. My father-in-law this afternoon will be dressed up as the Easter Bunny. So um, I am all in for, for the culture tradition. But... If we're not careful, we'll approach this day, and what we celebrate will feel just as much like make-believe as the Easter Bunny. So I want to be super clear as we begin. Like right off the bat, I want to lay my cards on the table. Um, We are not celebrating today the fact that winter is over. (laughs) Uh, We're not celebrating uh, the fact that spring is here, that we're excited about the warmth uh, we're not celebrating the fact that flowers are broody, blooming or that people are changing color because they're getting tans or that the Preds are going to kill it in the playoffs. You know, something to be celebrated, but we're not celebrating those things today. What we're celebrating today is much more significant, much more significant. So I want to jump into our text today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 516. 
5.16. And I want to take a moment and, and look at what we are actually celebrating. So if none of those things are, are really what we're here for, then what, what are we actually here for today? Luke chapter 24, page 516, for using one of our blue Bibles. Let's jump in. Verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, those are the disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is what we celebrate today. That we believe that literally and physically Jesus died on a Friday afternoon, and on a Sunday morning was physically resurrected from the dead. That's what we believe. We really believe that and embrace that and embrace the implications of that. And let me tell you, the implications are uh, ridiculous. They're amazing. They're better than you could have hoped for. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. Um, This week, uh, I have been working on my deck like a madman. Um, my wife, Virginia, and I, we, we got a house about a year ago, and we, we worked on all the inside stuff first. So, you know, we unpacked the boxes and we decorated the walls. My wife is like a master decorator. Um, she watches Fixer Upper all the time and could put Joanna to shame. Um, but so we decorated the inside and, you know, it's got all that stuff. But we have this deck outside that I've been wanting to like work on for so long. And uh, we have this backyard that kind of goes down a hill and has all these pretty trees that leads to a creek, just like a prime post-up chill place. Um, and I, I, I just want to have the, the space to do that out there. So uh, the problem with that is that the people that lived there before us just did not take care of this deck. Um, it, it was an absolute mess. You couldn't walk on it without getting splinters in your feet, and you like lean on the rail, and you're like, I'm going to die when this thing falls over. It's like a second-story deck, and it's like, that'd be a great way to go, death by deck, just like implodes and you get killed. You know, it's like, well, that, that, there it goes. Um, and so, so me, being the expert handyman that I am, uh, and by expert handyman, I'm re- I mean, I'm really good at the internet and have way too much confidence in actually doing things like this. Uh, so I'm like Googling and like YouTubing everything. And uh, so I'm out there this weekend just like throwing supports up and like bought 5,000 deck mate screws. And I'm just like drilling in all these different things. And I'm like, this is killer. I'm so good at this. And uh, just doing work. Um, whereas one of my favorite artists right now would say, I'm, I'm work, 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 work. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you like that song. Come on, don't, don't, be, don't be judgmental up here. Um, just doing work. So anyway, I, I, re- I read online that uh, before I can apply any type of sealer or stain to this thing, I've got to do some preparation, right? 
I've got to prepare the wood uh, to do this. So I read online that I've got to power wash it. And this is really good news for a type A, uh, slightly OCD personality like mine. I'm like, yes, I get to power wash. So I get this power washer and I'm like power washing this deck and it's going from like black and green from all the dirt and the mildew buildup. And it's like this beautiful wood that's being revealed. And um, because I had the power washer available, I also did that, like the whole side of the house and the driveway. Um, and the fence posts, and you know, uh, if if it wouldn't have gotten dark, I probably would have power washed my neighbor's house as well. And it's just this addictive like thing if you like cleaning things. So uh, I power wash the whole thing, and um, so after that, you you have to sand it. So you can't just clean it. You have to sand down the splinters and the rough edges, and and prepare the wood. You have to open up the wood for it to be able to accept the stain. And I loved this. So it was so fun. I got to do the whole thing and spent way too much time on it this weekend. My back is killing me, but it's totally worth it. Can't wait to finish it. And um, so in order to put the stain on there and enjoy it for all that it could be and all of its beauty and all of its purpose, you had to prepare it. And I think our hearts and our minds work in a very similar way, especially when we approach a story like the resurrection, especially when we approach a story like the resurrection, because there are barriers that will prevent us from ever seeing the beauty of this, from ever seeing the wonder of this and capturing the implications of this in our lives. There are things that will keep us from doing that. So before we ever jump into the scripture and dissect some of those things, I want to point out a few barriers, do some power washing in our hearts and in our minds and sand up our hearts and our minds to really receive the beauty of what is the resurrection of Jesus. And my contention, my argument, here's the barrier. Here's the main barrier, primary barrier to receiving this incredibly good news. Believing that it happened. (laughs) Like that's a barrier. Like believing this actually happened will prevent us from capturing the beauty of it. I love in verse 11 in our text, um, it, it says that Peter and the disciples, when they first heard it, they're like, this is an idle tale. It's foolish. We don't believe that. They run to the tomb to see for themselves. So I want us to run to the tomb and see for ourselves today, to look at the resurrection, to see if it's really all that it's cracked up to be. Because if the resurrection is not true, like, let's be real. I know we're in church and it's Easter. If the resurrection isn't true, this is a game. This is dumb. What I'm doing right now is a wasted time in your Sunday morning. It'd be better off at Pancake Pantry, standing in line than doing what we're doing right now. Even the Bible admits this. I love this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. It says, um, if the resurrection didn't happen, everyone should be laughing at us. We should be pitied above all people because what we're building our lives around is a lie. So this is like the ball game right here. This is, has to be where we start. Is the res- resurrection true? But hear me, what if? Ask the question. Have the courage. What if? this actually happened. If Christ was raised from the grave, there are serious implications for our lives, right? Can we agree with that? Like, even if you don't believe, if you're not a believer today in Jesus, you have to agree with me. If he came back from the dead, then some of the things he said probably matter, right? That he claimed to be God, that we have sin and we need saving from that sin, that there are eternal implications to what we believe right now, that he holds the key to life. Big stuff, right? Timothy Keller, um, to use his full name, Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, um, it, he lives, he's in New York, and one of his uh, best quotes, I think he says, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or, like, whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, 
or you like his followers, but whether or not he rose from the dead. I think that's true. So when we talk about the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, it creates a historical problem for us, especially in the minds that don't believe in him. It's not a biblical problem, it's a historical problem because something happens that changes history. There's a guy named Simon Greenleaf. He was a lawyer and a historian in the early 1800s, right when our country was getting started, and he founded the Harvard Law School. Um, And most of our court system and evidentiary systems and practices today are based upon his thoughts and ideas and how evidence was treated in in the court. And uh, one of his students famously challenged him in one of his classes to look at the resurrection of Jesus and the evidence for it. After years of research, Simon Greenleaf says, there's more evidence in a court of law for the physical resurrection of Jesus than for the existence of Julius Caesar. It's a pretty crazy quote, right? So there's a historical issue that we have to wrestle with here. What most people do is turn on the Discovery Channel and get spoon-fed some stories and documentaries about the life and death of Jesus. But I want to point out a few ways that they might explain away the evidence here. And just so my cards are on the table, I think these theories are just kind of absurd. If you're not a believer today, you're like, well, I think raising from the dead is absurd. (laughs) I'm like, cool, like, fair. Let's look at some of these... Let's look at some of these theories and then see where we stand. And remember, this is just power washing. This is sanding so that we can prepare our hearts to accept these implications. First one, they went to the wrong tomb. You can giggle. It's okay. Uh, I didn't come up with that one. Like the Discovery Channel came up with this. The most widespread belief system in probably human history sparks overnight because they went to the wrong tomb. And then they went and told the disciples and they went to the wrong tomb. Not a good theory, right? I mean, maybe. I've gotten lost before. (laughs) But I I don't think this holds any weight, especially because the Romans and the Jewish leaders were trying to crush this uprising. Wouldn't they have just rolled out the body, been like, okay, they used Apple Maps instead of Google Maps. It's over here. (laughs) Like, they ended up in a field instead of where they were headed. Um, And obviously, here's the body. Not real, right? So, okay, so that theory isn't really hold any weight. What about this next one? They hallucinated. Maybe. Um, I've, I've been around some people that have experienced traumatic loss. Maybe they didn't sleep for a few days or um, started drinking too much wine. Maybe Peter was like cooking LSD in his apartment. Like, I don't, do you cook LSD? I don't know. Um, maybe there was a hallucination, right? The problem is that Jesus and his resurrected body is documented to have appeared to hundreds of people at a time. There's no evidence in history of group hallucinations. And Paul, in one of his New Testament letters, is going to write to the church and say, he appeared to 500 of you at once. Go ask any of them. Most of you are still alive. Right? So there's some circumstantial evidence that he lays for. So if that one really doesn't hold any weight, what about this one? That Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He didn't die. He fainted. After having been severely beaten, Hanging on a cross for four hours, he blacked out because of loss of blood and the beatings he endured, and they mistakenly believed he was dead and put him in the grave. Now, if we're honest, there's some precedent for uh, burying dead people alive in history. Like, let's be honest about that. Um, So here's a helpful quote from a non-believing, doesn't believe in Jesus, historian named David Friedrich Strauss. Sweet name, obviously a historian. Um, And I, I just... I always appreciate intellectual honesty, regardless of what side it's on, even if it puts pressure and weight on what I believe. Because I just think we have nothing to fear in the truth of God. Nothing to fear. So um, I, I love what Strauss says about this idea. 
says, it's impossible that a being who had crawled half dead out of the tomb, who crept about weak and ill, wanting medical treatment, who required bandaging, strengthening, and indulgence, and who it still at last yielded to death, could have given his disciples the impression that he was the conqueror over death in the grave. So Friedrich here, our boy Strauss, is arguing there's no way Christ just fainted after having the flesh ripped off his body, a spear driven under his ribs and into his lungs, and buried, just fainted, could have crawled out of that grave and instilled into his followers that he had conquered death. This leaves us with one option to explain away the resurrection, and this is literally all the History Channel can give you. They stole the body and made it up. That's the last effort. And this is the one that's gained the most traction over two millennia, that the disciples stole the body and made up the whole thing to further their master's teaching. Um, Plausible theory. But we see this constant picture of Jesus' followers as being incompetent and cowardly. This is is the main story. If you just read through the books of the Gospels, just over and over, they fall on their faces. (laughs) They can't do anything right. After Jesus dies, they've run away, they're hiding, nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, these guys don't have any skills except like fishing and counting money. And all of a sudden they become this SEAL Team 6. And they they make the Roman guards who are trained for their whole lives fall asleep, move the stone, steal Jesus' body. And then knowing they stole it, go to their graves, being beaten and tortured and martyred without ever breaking. Peter's crucified upside down, doesn't break. Every disciple dies a horrendous, terrible death, and none of them break. Most of them had families. Church tradition tells us that they boiled John alive, and he didn't die, and it freaked him out so much that they exiled him to an island. We don't want to look at that. And he, he doesn't break. They all go to their grave with this story? I don't think so. The theories around explaining away this moment crumble when you put any weight on them. So hear me, like those of us that believe that Jesus raised from the dead, it's not crossing our fingers and hoping that it happened. We believe this actually happened. And yes, there's an element to this that seems a little crazy. Like, let's be real. But when you start closing your mind off to the evidence that is available to you, it can lead you down an intellectual path that I can argue is just as much absurd. So we don't approach this day with a sense of like ethereal, um, fantasy-like mystery, like we're reading Harry Potter. It's like, oh, Jesus found the resurrection stone, like, yay, like, (laughs) good story, I'm inspired. No, this is not allegory, this is not Jesus came back when he was down so you can get up when you're down, or Jesus wants to resurrect your budget, like, none of that is why we celebrate. This is a real event that happened that has magnificent implications over our lives. So I don't just want to talk about some of the facts. We're just not going to power wash and sand. Uh, I want to unpack the meaning for us. Give us a little bit of sealant and stain for our hearts. What does Jesus rising from the dead 2,000 years ago have to do with you in this moment in 2016 sitting in these chairs? What are the implications? Let's see the beauty of Jesus' victory over death. So this is the first implication. Look down in verse 12 with me real real quickly. I love that it says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So I love this. Peter, it's like, I gotta see for myself. I gotta go to the tomb. And he's like, he looks in, he's like, Jesus? (laughs) Oh, there's 
grave clothes here. That's a little odd. And he begins to wonder. He begins to consider the implications of what has just happened. So what does it mean today that Jesus is not dead? What does it mean? Because if, if he's not dead, that means he's alive and there are real implications for our lives. So here's, here's the first one, if you're taking notes with me today, that Jesus is our Savior. This is the, this is the big implication. This is, this is big. Ultimately, if this is true, and I believe historically and biblically and circumstantially, like I believe that it is, it is true in every way, and that means our sins, our brokenness and guilt before a holy God is legitimate. It is an issue. And that that situation was completely taken care of by the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is huge news. This is big implications for us. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this moment on the cross where you and I, who are full of sin and brokenness and guilty before God, how Jesus goes on the cross and accepts our punishment so that we could go free and receive the perfection of Jesus. That's what's happened on the cross, and it's a big deal for our lives. Jesus has defeated sin and death, and that really changes how we live. We get the perfection of Jesus credited to us and life in God available to us. Man, the resurrection is the capstone of God's love for you today. If you don't believe that God loves you, look at the cross. Like, put your like, confidence in the resurrection. It is the beautiful display of how much God loves you. So if you come in here today and it's Easter, and you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm really guilty of a lot. I don't, I don't know if you really understand how guilty I am um, of the things that I've done, uh, of the situation that I'm in. Um, yes, you are guilty of so much. I am guilty of so much. And the good news is that Christ made a way to pay for it. That's, that's the good news of what we celebrate today. And I don't need to know where you've been or all the specifics of it because the resurrection is the reason I can say it's been paid for. You don't have to wonder about that. There's no sin that can out, uh, outrun the power of the cross. Man, I, I have blown it just as much as any of you guys. Like, let's not live under this illusion that because I'm up here and because I'm a pastor, like, I don't need as much access to the grace and the forgiveness that Christ is offering today. Like this week, my brokenness on full display, very clearly. Man, I've not known a love like this. I need you to hear me. This is, this is not just facts. In my life, I have not known a grace like this. It's changed my life. And I can speak from experience that this will change your life. Frankly, half the time, my life doesn't even reflect that I believe these things. But the beauty of this love is that it doesn't depend on how good I am or how good you are at following some rules. It depends on the love of God on the cross. All that is required is faith. So if your heart's burning right now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't really ever put faith in Jesus, if you feel faith kind of like welling up in you, you're like, what, do I, what do I do with this? Like this is, this is uh, something I need to deal with. I, I want to invite you. Today, like put your faith in Jesus. Like surrender your life to Jesus. Not because of any arguments that I've made or because of any good words, but because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Surrender your life to him. If you want to do that today, I want to, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody that you came with. If you don't have anybody to talk to um, during our time of communion, there's a red banner back there that says respond. 
We'll have some men and women back there that would just love to hear your heart, love to hear what's going on in your heart and mind, hear what God is doing. That's our first implication. The second implication, there's a life available in Jesus. There's life available in Jesus because he is not dead. Friends and family in this room, if you believe in Jesus, we were created for far more than we often walk in, for far more. Jesus says that he came bringing a kingdom and that he would be the king of that kingdom and that his followers would usher in parts of this kingdom before the world is yet fully restored. That is our job as the church. And so many of us who claim to follow Jesus just miss this. He offers what Romans 6 will call newness of life, and we settle for the old. We just coast with this vague and fuzzy optimism that there's a God out there who's kind of good-hearted and loves people, and that hopefully things will work out in the end, but like God has so much more for you in life. We get caught up in the trivialities and the pursuits of this life, and we're afraid to sell out to God, so we settle. I want to ask the same question that the angels asked Mary and the other women at the tomb. Why are you searching for the living among the dead? Why are we searching for life among things that will not give it to us? If Jesus did not stay in the tomb, that means he is really alive and really calling you and me to make a difference in a real world in the lives of real people. That is our reality today. There's a bigger purpose, a bigger mission than just living for ourselves. But I want to be real here. Um, I know it's Easter and it's church and we all look really nice and it's like, yay, we need to celebrate and be happy. A lot of us spiritually limped into this room. Uh, Maybe you actually limped into this room. Uh, Life has really let you down. Circumstances still bring pain. Satan has eaten your lunch this week with temptation and sin, and, and you intellectually understand the reality of the resurrection that it's supposed to be good news for your life, right? But there's this disconnect between that good news and the constant bad news you seem to receive. Anybody there today? Is that how you feel? I want you to hear me on this. Um, the hope and presence of Jesus is our reward by itself, nothing else. Now, there's nothing that can take that away from you. So uh, no matter how devastating your struggle is, um, how crushing your disappointment may feel, how trying your troubles, it's all temporary. Praise God that it's temporary. Thank you, God. I'm not advocating like empty optimism, like, oh, let's just be optimistic about like, no, like feel what you feel, deal with the hurt, but hope in Jesus. He's alive Uh, The hope that Jesus offers you today um, assures you that no matter what you experience, death included, no matter how deep the tragedy that you're experiencing, that nothing can separate you from his presence. So what Josh read earlier in Romans 8, 37, man, if you you feel that way today, if you feel just like (laughs) destroyed and crushed in life, you're like, I can't get it right, everything is going wrong, cling to these verses. Romans 8, 38 and 39, like, Hold fast to this verse. It's not empty optimism. It's the truth of God, the hope of God. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else. Like Paul runs out of words. He's like, nothing can separate you from God's love. 
hope in that. That's your confidence. That's your security. He is our reward, and our dependence and our reliance on him shouts with a megaphone in the middle of our pain that Jesus is alive and well and more valuable than anything that this life could offer us. This is our hope. This is why we do in the city what we do next week on Serve Our City Sunday. You know, today doesn't end with, cool talk, you want to go get Satco? And that's not where this ends. It calls us to go. It moves us to action. We take the love and the grace of Jesus and we let it flow through our lives into people who need to experience it. We go out into the city and we paint schools and we love kids and we give of our resources so that others might receive the love and the grace of Jesus to tell them that this is good news for them too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and these women, uh, for the opportunity just to think about and dwell on the, the reliability, the truth of your resurrection and what that means for us. Father, where we've made it about us, made this whole thing about us, would you forgive us? Where we've not represented you correctly to a world that needs to hear uh, your love, uh, forgive us. Where we've sought things um, other than you, pray that you just break through all of that today in our lives. Thank you for the saving work on the cross that makes this all possible. I pray that you would call to yourself um, women and men in this room who might define themselves as Christians but haven't yet fully given their lives to you, haven't laid down their lives, begun to pursue a relationship with you that was purchased so beautifully and so perfectly in the cross and in your resurrection. We love you, Jesus, and it's for your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.